All right, all right. How y'all doing today? I thought we had like a good thing going, and then now we just kind of ruined the good spree. That's okay. If you guys don't know me, my name is Michael. I'm one of the leaders here at Youth. And uh, if you're new here, we're excited to see you. And uh, we're glad that you have chosen to spend this awesome, amazing day with us here today. Look at how great it is outside, you know? It's like this is the time of year where all the white people start changing colors. It's amazing. I love it. And, uh, and it's great. So we get to be here today, and uh, we are going to kind of talk about a subject that's a bit random coming out of our series uh, in Head Games. And so today, if you guys have a Bible, uh, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, there are girls walking down the uh, walkway or whatever here to hand you a Bible. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 4. We are going to be in verses 11 to 16. Once again, 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 11 to 16. This is what it says. 11, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity until I come. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, just the chance. We get to come here and we just get to be with friends and the community that we're just longing to follow you with. And uh, this begins to be a time of our week that we just get to just come to a place of just such joy and that we can just be excited uh, to be here and to just show you what we have in response from just the rest of our week that our worship is just now overflowing here. And uh, we're excited for that. So, Father, we thank you. We love you. Just want to pray. Amen. Uh, this whole passage is kind of interesting, talking about young people. Obviously, it's kind of fitting with a bunch of young people. This is probably like the most uh, preached text in youth ministry history. But there's also something kind of weird with this because it says a lot about um, me and my life. Now, I look at this and it challenges me in a, in a bunch of different ways. Um, one of the ways is, maybe you guys didn't know this, but when I was 18 years old, somebody handed me a church. When I was 18 years old... Someone handed me a church. That is the dumbest decision in church history that has ever happened in life, okay? I didn't even know how to shave at that point. I'm like rolling up going like, okay, come on. We're talking about Timothy today. They're like, what? Timothy? It's Timothy, you know? And then you start pronouncing all the names wrong. Zachariah, uh, that's Zechariah. Uh, what? No. Uh, Jesus is coming. What? Anyways, so that was kind of me rolling through church, and I'm trying to just play it off like I knew what I was doing, and I was broken by it. I'm this young guy trying to lead a staff, trying to preach sermons every single week, and it got to me week after week after week because, to be honest with myself, I was really bad at it. I remember preaching sermons that I know guaranteed the people who were there leaving the room loved Jesus less because they heard me talk, okay? And I knew it. There's this nursery downstairs, and it kind of became my almost little quiet place. And after I would preach a sermon, I would go downstairs. I would think of the millions of expectations that people had on me, and I would sit in that nursery, and I would just cry. Week 
after week after week after week. I could not do this anymore. I felt this pressure. Even past that, out of that phase, I remember preaching sermons to a lot of people. And the one instruction that I remember people gave me before I went up on stage was, make sure not to remind them of your age. It's kind of this thing that's always been looming in the back of my mind. I'm way too young to be doing the things that I'm doing. I'm way too young to be trying to do the things that I feel like I'm called to do. That's always what I thought about myself. Maybe some of you here are in the exact same spot. There are a lot of things in our world that tell you you can't do things until you become a certain age. And that's just the way that life is. You can't drive until a certain age. You can't be, you know, trusted with certain substances until a certain age. You can't do certain, you can't even rent a car until you're a certain age. But what this is trying to encourage us to believe is that maybe there are age requirements or age limits all throughout the world in which you live. The church is not one of those places. I don't care how young you are. I don't care what you came in here with. If you are someone who believes in Jesus, he has given you a gift greater than you could ever possibly imagine, and then he is calling you to use it. That's what this is doing. That when he looks at you, he says, listen, pay attention to what it is that you have been called to. Your age at this point does not matter. That's not what this is about. But this whole discussion of what Paul is trying to say to Timothy in this starts in verse 6, not in verse 11. This is what he says in verse 6. He says, if you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. He's talking about this this teaching that he has to give. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. He goes, man, you got to give them the thing that you have been given. One of the things that we tend to not do is to go through things ourselves before we give it to other people. If you are not nourished, you cannot nourish. If you are not in the word, how are you going to give someone a word? That makes no sense. It first has to go through you before you give anything else to anyone else. It's like the classic uh, airplane imagery. Make sure to put the mask on yourself before you put it on someone else. That's the very thing that we have failed to comprehend at times. You, as a follower of Jesus, in this room, have to believe in yourself that there is something you have to do in this. You have to take the responsibility. You have to try. You have to put the work in. From verses 7 to 10, that's all he's going to talk about. It's this kind of athlete imagery. It's the imagine Michael Phelps in the pool or Usain Bolt on the track or Michael Jordan on the basketball court. These are people who every single day, whatever they love, they're passionate about art practicing over and over and over and over for a goal. I was watching a a design documentary that I was kind of like really, really obsessed with. And one of the designers said, man, we need to be more like athletes. Why do we as creatives not practice what we do every single day? We need to have something that they do, and we need, to, we need to kind of challenge it for ourselves. As soon as you said that, I thought, man, it's the same way with our churches. What would it look like if we practiced love every single day? 
What would it look like if the actual gospel permeated us in every single day life? What would it look like if, if the gospel was so present into our minds they remember all through practice or in, in head games, this image of God, you are at the forefront of my mind at all times. What if that actually began to happen with us? And the world would never be the same. Practice, practice, train, take responsibility. Guys, there is so much pressure on me at times that I put on myself for you. There are times where I'm up at night just thinking about certain situations or a story that I heard about one of you guys. And it just keeps me up going, man, what can I do? What can I do? The goal of what we want to do here is for when you leave this ministry 20 years later, we're still seeing you in the church. That you're loving this, that you're supporting, that you're making disciples. That's the goal. I am not good enough at what I do one time for a couple hours a week to, to make that happen for you. You, young people in the room, have to take the initiative of this relationship with Jesus to train it every day of your life. And never take I'm too young as an excuse. That's exactly what he's saying. Verse 11, command and teach these things. Verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth. Man, youth is an amazing thing to, to have. You know, we have, a, we have some older leaders. They come in here. They hurt themselves while they sleep. You know, it's, it gets pretty bad in their old age. That's when I know when life's going downhill, when I hurt myself in my sleep. Man, we show up here. This is one junior every week gets thrown up right in, the, right in the sky. You know him too, right? Little Rocco. He's crowd surfing. You drop him on his head, he's like, let's keep going. Come on. There's something about seeing that from week to week. It's the joy. It's like the electricity of, of youth that gets you going. It's, it's something about seeing what you do week in, week out. When we have guests come in here, their minds are completely blown at how much you love Jesus. That's an encouragement. You have all of these old people running through at times, and they're like, those youths know how to worship. Yes. They're like, you have the weirdest accent. I don't know. <laughs> but it's amazing. For you to take the time to sit back for one second to look at yourself and go, Sure, every, every single one of us wants to grasp at something later on in life. Take the time to enjoy now. Take the time to remember that every single moment that you have is fleeting. It's here and it's gone. It's here and it's gone. I was reminded of that this week. I got caught up in, in a weird situation I was on my phone, I was about to take a shower, and just scrolling through Facebook, and then I see a picture of my friend on Facebook, and at the bottom it just says RIP. I was confused, it kind of shook me up a bit. I haven't talked to her in a couple of years, and 
There was a time when we were in high school, she was brand new, and I remember she came into to, to school one day, and we were kind of fighting about something. It was like, imagine this girl, she's like, you know, very acne-ridden, pale, kind of shorter. No one really thought anything of her, and we were just fighting after school about something, and, and then she kind of said, oh, my mom's not going to be here for a couple hours, and I was like, you're stupid. You want to you come over to my house? My, my grandma's going to make some food. And she said, yeah. And that routine happened every single day for two years. Her mom worked at the hospital. She got off her shifts late. She would come over to my house. My grandma would make us food. We'd do homework together, 10th, 11th grade. And Friday morning, I found out that she died. And all it says to me is the very thing that you have in this room, never despise it. Never hate it. There are billions of people around the world paying thousands of dollars a year trying to grasp at what you already have. There's this famous preacher. He had um, brain cancer. And he said something that I think it was, it kind of changed me, to be honest. He says, man, me having brain cancer doesn't change my situation really. It just makes me more apparent of the situation we're always in all the time. And it's tomorrow is not promised. Tomorrow isn't promised for any of us. And just because I have brain cancer right now only means that I'm more aware of our situation. And youth is an amazing thing. Being young is an amazing thing. You know, there's never been a revolution in the world that didn't have young people at the middle of it. You mean something to what all of this is going to be. So with that in hand, Paul is trying to say, don't let anyone else look down on you because of it. You have a good thing going. And even if they do look down on you for that thing, what do you do in response? Sometimes young people like to, to fight back. Yeah, well, you're old. You don't know anything. Get with the times. Figure it out. And that's not the response that he's asking us to have. What he's saying to you, to all of us in the room, is don't let them look down on you because of your youth. But because of what you do, make them look up to you. How do you do those things? Five different things he gives us here. Verse 12. But be an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Man, being a leader is a hard thing. He's talking to a young guy in ministry trying to lead a church. In some situations, I want to put myself in kind of Timothy's spot at times. I'm a young guy, don't know much about life, really. I'm trying to lead you guys as well as I can, and sometimes I know I'm going to be falling short. I'm looking at you. There's, there's a million different things running through my mind all of the time, and he's saying, don't let other people look down on you, but, but raise yourself up in just a couple different ways. Man, my whole job, all of what I do surrounds around me talking to people, just saying words. 
Be an example in speech, in the things that you begin to say. And then it reminds me of this idea. One of the prophets, when he's called by God, and when he sees God for the first time, he just says, man, I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips. My very, my very words explain something about who I am. Now, now, what would I look like to you if I was up here and I was preaching Jesus and saying, man, you should follow him, you should love him, you should do all of these different things, and you would see me every other day swearing, yelling at people, and doing a bunch of other different things, and you would go, there's something a bit inconsistent here with the way that he's using his words. In one sentence, he's praising Jesus, and the other, he's doing something completely different. That's the tension for every single one of us. That with your words, your words can be the way that you glorify God the most that you possibly ever can. But then on the flip side, your words, the things you say, at times can be the very foundation of your shame. How many times have you said something to someone and then just sat back and just cringed at the idea that those words ever left your mouth? Maybe it's a word that you directed to someone that you immediately wanted to take back. Maybe it's the idea, which is kind of scary. Imagine what would happen if I was out in the parking lot before a service and I just swore at one of you everything I've ever tried to do breaks down. Isn't that crazy? Like, that's nuts. Like, one day you're outside, you dunk on me in the basketball hoop, and I'm just, you know, I'm just getting super, super mad, and I'm just like, uh, bleep, 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 ah, bleeper, whatever. Everything I've ever tried to do goes down in shambles. Because that's what a leader is. That's what a leader does. They try to be the one that everybody else looks to and goes, man, I can follow you. I want to be like who you are. So in speech, be an example. In conduct, be an example. How many times do we know an expectation in our life and we don't begin to do it? And then we hold this weird thing where in my mind I go, I know I should be doing this, but really I'm doing this. I remember a time in high school. I was uh, ninth grade. My cousin would come over every single day after school, every single day. He was from Coquitlam. He would come over. His family lived in, in, in Langley. So he chilled at my spot in Surrey, and we would just hang out every day. Every single day, this kid came up to me and said, dude, I was just smoking a dube with my friend. It was legit. Next day, we'd be eating cornflakes. That reefer is great. And I'm hearing this guy, I'm like 12, 13, hearing him for years talk about him doing this very thing. So what happens in my mind? My mind goes, man, I think he's awesome. I want to do exactly what he does. So when it became appropriate and I got the opportunity to do everything he's been talking about for so long, I took it. 
Somebody offered me some weed at a party. I said, well, this is exactly what my cousin's always been doing, so I smoked it. And the next day, I was, like, excited to go and tell him about it. I was like, man, now we're finally, this is always what I've been waiting for. So I walk up to him, and I'm like, dude, the reefer is great, right? And it was the first time I, I realized something about life. When he turned to me with the most anger I've ever seen in his face, he said, you will never do that again. You hear me? You will never do that again. Now, this guy's not a Christian. And all I took away from that was, isn't it interesting how many things we do in life that if we could multiply it into someone else, we would choose not to? Maybe it's the way you talk. Maybe it's the way you treat people. Maybe you don't really love very well. Maybe this whole situation with faith in Christ is a problem for you. Maybe it's purity, pornography, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, certain conversations that you're having, the way that your mind works, or the way that you see a girl or the way that you see a boy. Maybe these are all the ways that we're falling short. It's crazy when you begin to see it that way. I just want you to think of, like, for one second, just sit with me for one second, that if you witnessed me, any of our leaders, fail in any of those categories, what would your mind go to? Now think of this that just the way that you think of me, there are people who think of you the same way. Maybe it's a younger sibling. Maybe it's a younger sibling's friend. Maybe it's someone who's below you within the church. That they look to you and they go, man, all I want to do is be like you. All I want to do is be like you. Now ask yourself the question, are you okay with that? Are you the kind of person so confident in the way that you are living as an example that you look down to anyone younger than you and you go, man, I want you to be more like me because I know that means you're going to be more like Jesus. Because all I'm trying to do with all that I have is be more like Jesus. And if I'm multiplying that, then we're good. Right? Paul had that mentality. Imita imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's the call that he has for us. The Christians, we're so weird in the way that we're represented. We love to be people who represent God's name, don't we? We take his name for everything. And it, it makes me so mad. Have you ever seen um, those protesters that go out with like picket signs outside of, you know, military people's funerals or they go to like a gay pride parade and they go and they picket the whole thing and they say, you know, God hates you or any of those things. There's individuals who all of a sudden for their own agenda put God's name right in the middle of it because they think somehow now they have some authority. Now, how many of us do that? We talked about this at Lead on Monday. How many of us have an issue with gossip and then we kind of just say, well, no, God wants me to tell someone who, who can help them and keep them accountable. No. 
You just have an issue with gossip. What about lying? How many of us trick ourselves into believing that what we're saying is it's not actually that bad? You know, I don't think God would be that upset. We get known for such weird things in life as followers of Jesus, as things that we should not be known for. These five things should be so paramount to our lives. Speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. People should know us for those things. And yet we have examples all the time that go, this doesn't make much sense. All right, Mark, uh, Pastor Mark tells this story all the time about how he brought a non-Christian guy to his dorm room when he was living in Toronto. And he brings the non-Christian guy to his dorm and his roommate, right, Christian guy, is standing in his room on top of the couch doing this. And Mark goes, what the heck are you doing? And the guy goes, I'm shooting the campus with the Holy Spirit machine gun. That's weird, man. That's not a normal thing. And yet we do it all the time. We use this churchy language to hide our insecurity all the time. God's will. It's God's will, you know. Uh, I failed my exam. I didn't study, but the Lord willed it. Uh, it's fine. That's <laughs> how it is. You know what? I, I, I fought with my parents, but, uh, you know, I... I it's the true love of Jesus was not in me in the moment, and Satan did his work. Uh, and this is the problem, is that at times we begin to be called out for being the kinds of people who love to take God's name. We, we, love, to, we love to put on the name of Jesus, yet we never take his character. We love to be the kinds of people who, who love taking on the name of Jesus. Christian, a little Christ. And yet never want to be the people who take his character. Look at Jesus all through the Gospels. Tell me if he talked well of people. Loved people. Tell me if he acted in a way that he should be acting, of course. Tell me if he loved people well. He did. And multiple men are trying to stone a woman in the middle of the street. What does he do? He runs to her defense. He loved well. He had faith like you could not even possibly imagine. He was pure. And that's the only way that he could go to the cross, is perfection. Isn't it crazy that you belong to someone who inhabits everything that he's calling you to carry for yourself? And I want, you to, I want you to speak well, as I have spoken well. I want you to conduct your ways in, in the way that I conducted my ways. I want you to love as how, how I have loved. I want you to have faith the way that I had faith. I want you to be pure as I was pure. He's not saying this unattainable goal way ahead of you. He's saying, no, I've done it. I've been there. It's the only way I could have died for you. 
And he did. With his face stuck on the cross. His face was like flint looking to where he was going to die. The Bible says that God was, was, was almost gleeful to send Jesus to the cross. Because he knew the outcome. Maybe some of us don't feel like it's pretty enticing to do any of these things because we don't know the outcome of what it actually looks like. But that's exactly what it tells us in verse 16. That the goal of why you do the things that you do in those five areas is because, and this is kind of crazy, chapter 4, verse 16, it says this, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. Now, this is crazy. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Because of speech, because of conduct, because of love, because of faith, because of purity, because of the giftings that he's given to you, because you've held on to the teachings, what is the result of all of that? What is the result of those things? As those very people that follow you are going to know Jesus in a way that you could never possibly imagine. And you were the means for that. Think about the things that you believe about the church. Think, think about the things that you believe about the gospel. Take this scenario. If, say, somehow in this weird situation, you showed up right before someone was about to die. God says to you, whatever you believe the gospel to be, preach it to that person, they will automatically believe it. So you go up and you're like, okay, uh, okay, this is what I've believed about the gospel, so I'm going to go to this person, I'm going to preach it, they're going to believe it. Be introspective right now. Be honest with yourself, with what you know. What happens to that person after they die? Is the gospel so real to you? Is it so tangible to you? Is it understood to the point that the very thing that you're teaching to anyone else is true life-saving grace? Or is it, man, Jesus is going to make you happy. Jesus is going to make life really easy. You know why you should come? Because it's, it's super fun. hard to think that way. And that's on us. That's on me. That's on every single one of you. That my job here on a Tuesday night is not to bring your friends to Jesus. If they come here and this is the first time that they're ever presented the gospel, that might be a bit weird. That's your jobs. There is no age requirement to presenting the gospel. There is no age requirement to you knowing about the life, death, resurrection of Christ and presenting that to people. That's your initiative. That's your goal. That's what you are called to do. You are the ones to bring the change to the world around you. That's insane. I was talking to a guy this week and, and out of nowhere it just kind of came out of me. You know Matthew 28 
the Great Commission where Jesus goes and he sends his disciples off and he says, I want you to go to all of the places of the world, Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and he starts listing off all these different places. It's crazy for me to think that when he sends his people out, the lowest measurement of what he calls them to take is a city. The lowest expectation of what he had for his people to go and take was a city. Why don't we think like that? Why don't we have faith like that? Why are we so worried about maybe just even particulars and going, no, God's big enough to change Surrey. God's big enough to change Langley. And why can't he use me to do that? Why think so small about yourself? Why not believe in the giftings that he has given to you? Why not have more confidence? Because in the end of all of this, it has nothing to do with your performance, but it has everything to do with your faithfulness. He's called you to something. What does that look like for you to go to that one person who you've always been so desperately passionate about, for them to know who Jesus is, to go to them and go, man, this is awkward, this is weird, this is kind of scary, but I'm just going to go out and do it. Who knows what happens? I've told this story before. One day I was talking to my mother-in-law about how she came to know Jesus, and it was the weirdest conversation I've ever had. She's going, well, I was a part of this company. This company did a bunch of conferences and the the churches in that area kind of decided to take over those conferences and then put on services at these business conferences. It was kind of weird. So my husband went to one of them and he was just rocked by the gospel. And he gave his life to Jesus. And I missed that conference. And he came back a completely different person. I was like, man, this Jesus guy is legit. Look what he just did to my husband. So what was her mindset? Her whole mindset was, the next conference I go to, I'm giving my life to Jesus. That was her whole intention. Now imagine this situation. She shows up, she's like, all right, let's get this one done. Pastor wakes up that morning, had a rough night the last couple days struggling with some stuff in his life, and he was just not feeling very confident about himself. He's saying to himself, man, I'm not very good at what I do. My speaking is horrible. People don't love anything that I'm doing in ministry. What's the point? Shows up that day. No one's coming to know Jesus. This is honestly awful. And he decides, you know what? I'm, we're just going to cancel today. It's, it's not even worth it. Now, how many of us are screaming, going, no, dude, no, she's ready. The husband went to the conference, and now she's, wait, because now she's, just go, do it. You have no idea how many of those stories are out there. You have zero idea. My friend Kanisha, who went and was a missionary in Uganda for a year, gave her whole life to people in a different continent, became a Christian because one person remembered her name. And she had never had that before in her life. Guys, 
I understand that what I'm saying, the things I always say to you guys, this whole book is daunting with the challenge that it has for you. It is scary when it says to you, you can make a difference. But let me encourage you with one thing. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it's daunting. Yes, it's a big deal. But you can do this. Because the most beautiful thing about this is it doesn't depend on you alone. If you're someone who believes in a big God, what if his whole way of thinking is not so much, hey, how about you go save that person? But what if the way that God thinks is, hey, I'm going to save that person. Do you want to come along? It has nothing to do with whether you're competent enough. It has everything to do with if you're faithful, with if you're obedient. I want to end it off with this last thing. Verse 14. He says, do not neglect the gift that you have. And God gives you gifts. There's some of us who have amazing imaginations. There's some of us who are super good at sports. There are some of us who are amazing at talking. And a lot of us are maybe pretty visual. Or maybe you're just so smart. Whatever giftings, natural talents that you have been given, those are awesome. Those can totally be used in the kingdom of God. There's also, when you became a follower of Jesus, you were given an amazing gift in the Holy Spirit. You were given other things as maybe these things. It's teaching, it's, it's exhortation, it's encouraging someone. It's being able to, to fill someone up with faith a bit. You have these giftings. 15, 16, 17 years old, you can do this. And what's the result of you just saying, man, I'm going to be able to do this. I'm going to take the initiative. I'm going to go. I'm going to use what I have. What he's saying is, if you follow this, if you understand, if you're serious, if you train, if you go forward with this, see how everything around you is going to change. Now imagine if this became a room of people who took that seriously. What can be done? How can things be moved? How can things be changed? If this ministry depends on what Seth can do or on what Delaney can do or Daniel or John, myself, the guys who are mixing the audio, lights, if it's just dependent on those people, we are going to do nothing. But being a part of a family, being a part of a community of God, of a church, is that we get to do this together. And that's the most amazing thing that we could possibly ever imagine. That God has not granted us a mission, a cause, a goal to do alone. But he's given us a family to do it together. I hope we understand that.
The centrality of Jesus in our life means everything to the people around us. The way you love, the way you talk, the way you act, the faith that you hold, and the purity that you keep. Let those be the things that people look up to you for. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for these students as we are just uh, spending time to allow ourselves to be open to what it is that you have called us to, that our giftings, our life, our conduct, are we training ourselves? What's the way that we're thinking about things? God, I pray that you, you change us, that you move us, you make us different than when we ever possibly have been before. That we're just so, so much more aware of your character and your nature that everything about us just wants to be more attached to you than we were before. Father, we give this night to you. We're encouraged. We are blessed. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And we ask that you do so much more as we just give ourselves over to you as instruments for your grace and your glory in our city. So, Father, we thank you. We love you. Just want to pray. Amen.